The Brady Bunch was an American sitcom that aired on television between 1969 and 1974. The series told the story of Mike and Marsha Brady, both widowed and with three children, who recently remarried and are having to integrate their families and start a new life together. Now, each episode focused on an awkward adjustment that the family had to make now living under one roof, including compromises, rivalries, and love affairs. Now, if someone were to tell the story of a PhD student's journey, I'd imagine it would look something like the Brady Bunch. Take a bunch of people from different cultural and geographical backgrounds, ask them to integrate under one discipline or department, and share a profound and life-changing experience. Yeah, there are going to be some stories along the way. And in today's episode, we unpack some of these stories as we look at the journey of a PhD student at Lund University and discuss the important role of doctoral students in academia. Welcome to the podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. Our mission is to make sustainability research more accessible for society. This episode is produced at the IIEE at Lund University and is hosted by Stephen Curtis and Catherine Schaub. everyone, and welcome back to the IIIEE podcast, Advancing Sustainable Solutions. My name is Catherine Shebb. Hey, and I'm Stephen Curtis. And we are PhD students at the International Institute for Industrial Environmental Economics and co-hosts of this podcast. Whether you know it or not, the IIIEE podcast is an initiative of PhD students at Lund University. And in less than three years, we have managed to amass more than 25,000 downloads and to be in the top 10% of all podcasts globally. Pretty impressive for a bunch of PhD students, huh? I certainly think so. Yeah, we should be proud. And in fact, PhD students play an important role in academia, contributing to some of the latest breakthroughs in science and technology. But I think the role of the PhD student remains shrouded in a cloud of mystery. What is a PhD? What does a PhD student do? And sometimes I ask myself this question, who in their right mind would want to do a PhD? So in today's episode, we want to unpack some of these stories and share the PhD journey at Lund University. We also think it's important for other PhD students to hear that they're not alone. We all struggle with feelings of stress, too much work, or even imposter syndrome. And PhD students are at a higher risk of increased stress and anxiety, especially as a result of coronavirus. For example, in the Netherlands, four out of 10 PhD students surveyed display severe symptoms of burnout, and the risk is higher among international PhD students. Yeah, so there's a lot of really interesting and important things to talk about in today's episode. If we want to have any hope of addressing our sustainability challenges, we also need to ensure our working environments protect employees from stress and burnout, not just for PhD students, but for everyone. We'll share some tips at the end of today's episode that we found particularly helpful as PhD students. So why the focus on PhD students? Well, we also think it is important to celebrate the successes of PhD students. And this spring, the IIIEE sees three PhD students defending their thesis. That's including you, Stephen. Yeah, indeed. Yeah. And so in celebration, we just want to highlight the work and contribution of our colleagues. 
And so over the next three episodes, we will hear from each of the graduating PhD students about their research and PhD journeys. So for example, today we will meet Lucy Enexon, PhD researcher studying the sharing economy as a more sustainable consumption practice in cities. Lucy defends her thesis in June and shares more about her research and experiences as a PhD student. But first, we interview our colleague Emma Johnson, who started her PhD journey in November 2020. And while we obviously think that PhDs are vital to academia and the development of some of the best research taking place at universities around the world, don't just take our word for it. We also discuss with Martin Tuner, the Deputy Dean at Lund University's Faculty of Engineering, responsible for PhD studies. To understand what is a PhD, we first need to sort some of the terminology. A PhD is the abbreviation for the title Doctor of Philosophy. Generally, you may hear the term PhD as a catch-all term for anyone that has been awarded an advanced degree. A more accurate term, however, would be a doctorate, which would encompass a Doctor of Philosophy as well as Doctor of Arts, Education, Engineering, Law, Medicine, and so on. However, a doctor of philosophy is not a narrow distinction to only the discipline of philosophy. Yeah, indeed. The idea of the doctor of philosophy can be traced back to the 17th century in Germany. At the time, philosophy was understood by its Greek translation, meaning love of wisdom. And the title was bestowed upon those individuals within the disciplines of history, social sciences, mathematics, natural sciences, and of course, philosophy. And it is this tradition that continues today. So what's important to take away here is that anyone that has earned a doctorate is a doctor, regardless of the discipline. Of course, there are differences based on the nature of the discipline, but we celebrate anyone and everyone that is equally afflicted by the love of wisdom and devoted time and resources to accomplish such a feat. Now, to consider what a PhD student does, we thought to share our experience at Lund University. Typically, a PhD student is expected to engage in three areas of work that of the PhD education, which is inclusive of coursework and research, contributing to a, a doctoral dissertation or thesis. Project work is also an area that a PhD student would engage in, as well as departmental duties. So to start, let's cover PhD education. Now in Sweden, a doctoral degree requires 240 credits, which are made up of both coursework and research. PhD students take courses in the philosophy of sciences, research ethics, qualitative and quantitative methods, teaching, as well as other project-specific courses. So for example, I completed a course in urban ethnography, and it, it took place in Paris uh, over a summer to study the sights, sounds, and smells of the city. Uh, and we did this through immersive and participatory qualitative methods. A really cool experience and uh, certainly an experience I wouldn't have had if not doing a PhD. Now, this was before the time of a pandemic. So since many of our courses have moved online. Yeah. And in addition to taking courses, luckily, our credits also correspond to the research we conduct as part of our PhD project. And so the research is compiled into a PhD thesis or what other people may call a PhD dissertation. And there's two main forms of this thesis at Lund University. You could either submit a monograph or a compilation. 
and a monograph is an academic publication from a single author on a specific subject that typically can phase the entirety of a PhD's research. So that means a monograph is you publishing one book. In contrast, a compilation thesis is a result of peer-reviewed academic articles preceded by a summary of the PhD student work. This is typically called a chapeau or in Swedish, a kappa. So this means that you can submit a series of articles instead of one book. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that's where I'm at in my PhD journey. I've completed now five peer-reviewed journal articles, and I'm now in the process of writing my kappa, which will be an 80-ish page summary that compiles my research methods, findings, and contributions to both research and practice. But not to worry, every PhD experience is context specific, and the content and deliverables of PhD education will depend on the journals that you're submitting to, the contribution of your research, your supervisors, department, university, discipline, and so on. So that's a good overview of what the PhD education consists of. We've just discussed courses and research, but PhD students are also expected to undertake what we call project work. At Lund University, the research can either be a project that the student conceptualizes and leads themselves, or part of a larger project. For example, all of the PhD students at our department are part of externally funded projects, whereas other PhD students at Lund University may apply to an internally funded position as part of a standing budget at a department or faculty. And for those that are externally funded, such as myself and Stephen, students will have to engage on project work. For example, in my project, in addition to writing journal articles, I'll also need to write five popular science articles and attend various conferences. So this additional work counts towards my project work, not my PhD education work. There's a third area of work that we've discussed here, and that's departmental duties. Now in Sweden, a PhD usually takes between four or five years, and it's a long time to devote your work to a single topic. The length of your PhD is largely determined by what are called departmental duties. These duties contribute to the activities of the department, for example, teaching, project administration, communication activities, maybe the planning of conferences or, or sitting on various committees. In fact, the podcast, which we produce here monthly, is also an example of departmental duties. And it's these duties that can be another great way to develop skills and build your network as PhD student. So yeah, there's a lot of work to be done, no doubt, but it's really important to remember that you're not alone in this work. PhD students are partnered with a supervisor that will guide them through the PhD process. And the supervisor is an important part of this process. It can really make or break the whole experience. And a supervisor is usually a senior researcher working within the relevant field to the PhD project with the responsibility to mentor PhD students, providing support, direction, feedback, and sometimes funding. And what's really important to state here that not only will you get guidance from your supervisor, but your community of peers that are doing your PhD with you will also provide a great source of stability, of support, of mentoring, of friendship. And I think, Stephen, you can also say that the, the peer network has been a really important part of your PhD experience, too. Yeah, certainly. I don't think I could have gotten through this without the, the peer support that we've, we've had, and especially during the pandemic. One thing I've been super proud of is just how we've come together, um, you know, not meeting in the office anymore, but meeting online and supporting each other in the work that we're doing. So we have a, a weekly check-in and we organize sessions with uh, other colleagues to discuss important issues like how to attend a conference or how to select a journal or, 
or, or issues that uh, are important for us as PhD students. So that's been really a fantastic uh, addition to the PhD journey. I think another unique aspect of uh, doing a PhD in particular in Sweden is that we're fully funded and are seen as employees in the eyes of the university and Swedish labor laws. This means we get paid a decent salary. It's not so bad. And as well, we get all the benefits of regular employment, such as a pension or parental leave. Now, despite being registered as employees, we're also eligible for student discounts. It's really the best of both worlds, I guess, right? It doesn't end there. For international students doing a PhD in Sweden, it's a great pathway for securing permanent residency. Now we present the Sustainability Scoop, a recent news item that connects the theme of this month's episode. And this Sustainability Scoop is very close to home. Lund University, where we are affiliated, is allocating up to 100 million Swedish kroner to establish an interdisciplinary research program focusing on the UN Agenda 2030 and sustainable development. This funding is intended to create PhD and postdoctoral opportunities across the university. Yeah, I mean, that's approximately 10 million euros or 11.5 million US dollars. It's a lot of money for a Swedish university to be investing in PhD and postdoctoral research. And I think this really demonstrates two important points. First, I think there are more people that are recognizing that we need bold leadership to address our sustainability challenges. And that means putting in the necessary resources to realize real change. Secondly, I think this speaks to the importance of PhD and postdoctoral education in research and society. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree, especially that so much of research today is conducted and published by PhD students. So, for example, in 2019, Lund University employed 840 professors, but 2,720 PhD students. That's three times as many PhD students than professors. And this means that PhD students are often on the cutting edge of research, especially for sustainability. And PhDs, often belonging to the millennial generation, are also pushing academia to be more inclusive and address systemic challenges around funding, publishing, and peer review. And without addressing these challenges, we will continue to see early career researchers exit academia in favor of alternative career paths. For example, joining government agencies, NGOs, or research institutes where they find it easier to work and then joining the academic world. So this means that PhD students play an important role in advancing research and education, especially for sustainability. And there'll be many more opportunities at Lund University and elsewhere to apply for PhD positions. So for example, Lund University is expected to post these open positions associated with this funding call this fall. So stay tuned. And as always, if you want to receive more information about this month's sustainability scoop, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter. Each month, we send out a reminder email announcing new episodes, which include show notes, access to research output, and additional information about our monthly sustainability scoop. You can sign up on our website at www.iiee.lu.se slash podcast. We are joined by PhD student Emma Johnson. Emma started her PhD at the IIIEE in November 2020, working on the project Mistradis, exploring resource-efficient and effective solutions for the circular economy and industry. Thanks, Emma, for being here, and uh, we're really excited to learn more about your project. So why don't you start by telling us a bit about yourself and uh, your PhD project? 
Yeah, thank you for inviting me to talk today. So uh, as you mentioned, I just started my PhD five months ago. And before that, just having graduated from the IIIEE's master program in environmental management and policy in June. Uh, so my research now is looking at this, what is called the design implementation gap for the circular economy. And what that means is understanding what we know from different circularity and resource efficient and sustainable frameworks and tools and indicators and methods and how we can apply that to established um, kind of traditional linear business models. And a big aspect of that is understanding what's going on within these companies in terms of their organizational culture and structure. And so taking both this internal and external perspective to try to implement what we have learned from academia and how we can uh, help these types of business models move towards more circular and sustainable innovation within their companies. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really interesting PhD project, Emma. I'm wondering, why did you choose to start a PhD? So I wanted to pursue research for a few different reasons. One, I think, because my personality is catered more towards research in the sense that I, I feel that I'm quite critical or like to ask why or how or what. Um, and so from the business perspective, it doesn't work. I'm, I'm too slow or <laughs> risk averse. And so then I think um, how I think is aligned well with kind of this research thinking. And I had looked into applying towards kind of private uh, research institutions or other types. And I came across the uh, opening for this position at the IIIEE. And I felt that it really aligned with um, what I wanted out of my career. And so then I decided to, to just go for the PhD. Yeah, and, and what did the application process look like? It was quite straightforward. So, you know, you have the CV or cover letter and then the, a proposal, which is the most kind of challenging part because I think it's hard to envision what you want your research or what that could look like over the next four or five years. And then also how much detail you should put in into that proposal and yeah, whether you should write as if uh, to show what you know in the research field or whether you should write to say what you want to do or what you think is a good way to propose your research. What are your maybe hopes or goals as part of the PhD process? What do you, what do you think you'll accomplish here by the end? I think maybe this is quite general, but for me, I, I just want to be able to have impact from my research, whether that means it being useful um, for others in academia or whether it can be something applied in practice. And it's more from this PhD that I guess I have a lot of personal goals um, in terms of gaining more confidence in how I communicate and how I network and how I put myself out there in terms of research. So I really see it as a, a growth opportunity and a learning opportunity. And I think another thing for me too is that both my master's and bachelor's are very interdisciplinary um, studies and programs. So I felt that uh, there's a there's a quote I like and it says something like, I'm, I'm a jack of all trades, but a master of none. And so, you know, a little bit about a lot of things. And I felt that I wanted to now kind of hone in and have my own little niche and area where I could really be kind of an expert on the topic. Yeah, 
that's great. I and mean, really nice to see how your, you know, your academic growth has made a lot of sense from, as you're describing from your undergrad to your master's and your PhD, and maybe here a longer term question, do you see yourself continuing in academia? And is that why you've chosen to do the PhD? Or, or what are your thoughts on people that are not sure about whether they want to stick in academia, and then deciding to do a PhD? I think it depends kind of on the PhD position. So another reason why I really wanted the position that I currently have is because it works a lot with companies. So there's concrete kind of cases that you can apply your research to. And so I could see myself going down the academia path, continuing in research um, with teaching. And then I also could see myself working more on the business side or as a consultant or something on that end. So I feel like for this position that I'm in, I could, I could really go both ways. And I really like having that flexibility that I think it would work. One question, Emma. So you are from the United States of America and you are undertaking your PhD in, in Lund. And um, just a question about what has it been like for you to be an international student doing your PhD at a Swedish institution? I think that um, in terms of the day-to-day -day work environment, it hasn't been such an issue just because we have such an international institute. But when working, um, for example, with some project-related things or with some of the companies who are obviously uh, Swedish, it can be uh, challenging sometimes or maybe a little bit of a, a barrier um, to communicate, not because there's misunderstanding, but maybe there's not as much willingness to, to discuss as casually or, or be more open. Um, and then, of course, being uh, international, you don't have the same network from family back home or friends. And I think you have to really have a way to to make the community. It's a bit hard to to branch out by yourself. So that's why also your work environment is so important to be able to have that network or to be introduced to other people to to create that community. Absolutely. And I think we've talked a bit about, you know, what you're looking forward to, what you're working on, your application process. So, so based on all of that, do you have maybe any advice for those interested in applying for a PhD program? I think people should really look into the department they're applying to. So not only the position, but to really get a feel of the culture and the uh, university or institute, because that makes a really big deal, I think, in how you do your own work and how you interact with others. Great, Emma. Well, thanks so much for joining us on this episode of the podcast. Nice to have you. Thank you so much for having me. We are joined by Lucy Enoxon. She is one of three PhD students at the IIIEE who are finalizing their dissertations this spring. Now, Lucy, she contributes to the project Urban Sharing, looking at how the sharing economy can be a more sustainable consumption practice. Lucy, I want to say thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so we've been on this journey together. We started our PhD more or less at the same time, almost more, more than four years ago now, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and we'll be finalizing our PhD here around the same time as well. How does it feel being this close to finishing your PhD? I think it, 
it feels really good uh, to be this close because I have been working towards this in four and a half years and now it's finally time to to finalize it, to sit down and uh, sit back and reflect on the work that I have done in those years. It's really exciting because I now that I'm writing my uh, dissertation as well, I see all my findings in new light and um, like I've been publishing all these papers in, in four and a half years and coming back to them, I'm, I'm realizing that I'm finding new insights and I'm connecting the dots in, in new ways. Yeah, congratulations, Lucy. That's really exciting. And especially for me as a PhD student who's just starting, it's just so nice to see that there actually is light at the end of the tunnel. So many congratulations. <laughs> Thank um, you. Yes. So why don't you just talk us through? So what are the milestones that you have now in your in your final stretch of submitting? So I had my final seminar about two weeks ago, and this is when uh, we invite um, a professor that's knowledgeable about the topic to discuss what we have done and discuss our, our draft. So I had Professor Renate Meyer from VUV in Vienna, who commented on my draft uh, of my dissertation. Um, and I'm drawing on institutional theory, um, so it felt really good to have someone like this who is knowledgeable about, about this theory, who took their time to, to read my draft and provide comments. So that was the, that was the final seminar. Um, I've taken those comments and implemented them in my, in my draft. Now I am working towards submitting uh, my draft to a preliminary review at the Faculty of Engineering at Lund University where it will hopefully be pre-approved. Uh, then I have another pre-evaluation on the 12th of April. Then on the 23rd of April, I have a final review <laughs> to the faculty. And then on the 7th of May, I can finally print my thesis. And then it needs to be submitted to the library, which is something called uh, speaking or uh, nailing, where traditionally you would nail it. You would like literally nail it to uh, a tree, I guess. <laughs> But now you just, it's very unevent, uneventful. You just deliver it to the library. And then on the 18th of June, I have my public defense. And uh, because of the COVID situation, it's going to be online. So Lucy, you're wrapping up your PhD here. I'm wondering on defense day, how do you think you'll be feeling? I'm going to be sweating profusely. Uh, <laughs> and I'm going A little bit nervous, sorry. yeah. <laughs> I am going to be very nervous. I've always been nervous in, uh, before my presentations and defenses and all that. But then I think once I get over the first slide, it's usually fine. Of course, everyone is scared of the questions that might come, but I don't know, I like to talk and I don't have a problem discussing things. So I think it will be fine. Best of luck, Lucy. I'm sure it's gonna go great. And um, I think in, in counterpart of sweating profusely, what do you think you have gained in counterpart? So do you know, what would you say are the main knowledge, skills or opportunities that you've gained from doing this PhD? So the main way that we collected data in this project is through interviews. So I have learned how to pose questions in a way that elicits good and long answers. I have also, learned to discuss issues with people such as who are like in high positions for example i would i would talk to people in the in the mun 
municipality about issues or in Canada, we were talking to people in provincial governments. Lucy, I'm wondering what is maybe one of the, the greater challenges that you faced doing your PhD? It was to work on the project, but at the same time know that I have to write my dissertation and combine these two things. So collect data for the project, but then how does this relate to what I want to research? Absolutely. I think that is something we all can relate to very well. Um, so yes, as you're coming towards the finish line, have you given any thought about what you'd like to do after? Or how do you think you know, your PhD has prepared you for your professional and career life? So what I would like to do after, I have a long list. Um, I'm going to do a lot of gardening and I'm going to fix some stuff, plant some trees in the garden. Uh, that's the plan. <laughs> and... Gardening sounds great and really actually much deserved after four years and a half of using mental work. I think doing some physical labor would be very rewarding. Yeah. <laughs> so Lucy, if our listeners wanted to learn more about your research or get in touch with you, how would they go about doing so? To learn more about my research, you can go to the Urban Sharing website, uh, www.urbansharing.org. Fantastic. Well, Lucy, thanks so much for taking the time to join us on today's episode of the podcast. Thank you for having me. We welcome Martin Tuner to the podcast. Martin is the Associate Dean at the Faculty of Engineering, commonly referred to by the abbreviation LTH here at Lund University. In his role, he's responsible for overseeing PhD education at the faculty, including here at the IIIE. Hey, Martin, and welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, so I thought maybe we could start. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your role as associate dean and some of the responsibilities you have overseeing PhD education. Yeah, thank you for that question. So to have a positive development of the society and solve the global challenges, we need expertise and leaders that are well-educated and are trained to work objectively, honestly, and ethical according to the scientific method and my role is to lead the development to create the best possible conditions to provide our PhD students with the best possible doctoral education for successful careers, and by that also improve upon our research and our undergraduate education to the benefits of the students themselves, our staff, our partners, and the world itself. And for those that are interested in joining this doctoral education, what are the general admission requirements for a PhD position here at Lund? Well, an applicant should have a second cycle degree and completed course requirements of at least 240 credits. But uh, each department is responsible for its own admission, so there are other criteria as, as well. And uh, we welcome applicants who have a strong motivation and capacity and are willing to match our efforts and positive intentions. Yeah, I, I know Catherine and I certainly found our ways here to Lund University. I'm wondering, why would you recommend somebody to consider doing a PhD here at Lund University or in Sweden more generally? There are many good reasons to do exactly that. At Lund, we, ha we have world-leading research infrastructures at the faculties at ESS and Max4, where PhD students can support Lund University's focus on the development towards a sustainable world. 
Sweden itself is ranked number four in the world on higher education. And Lund is in a region well known for excellence in innovation and entrepreneurship, very high living standards, equality, safety, and eco-friendliness. Yeah, so I guess maybe I'm curious then, after somebody completes a PhD here at Lund University, what are some of the common career paths that uh, they may find themselves in? Well, for our engineering faculty, most go to, uh, to industry, becoming experts and leaders in the industry, but uh, a few stay also in academia. So there are opportunities, I guess, for PhD students uh, to remain in academia or, or you know, go on elsewhere in society. Do you have any maybe examples of where you've seen PhD students end up uh, beyond academia? Oh, yeah. Uh, a number of my own PhD students typically end up, you know, in industry because we have a lot of collaborations. The Swedish uh, model for funding uh, research on, at least in engineering, is based on partly state funding, but also funding from uh, industry members. It should be relevant research. And uh, many of our finished PhD students, uh, they end up at industry in expert roles or as leaders. And they often come back to us, you know, and uh, then we collaborate again. I guess that's a wonderful cycle. And uh, the beauty of applied research in, in engineering and, and sustainability, for that matter. Yeah, that's, that's one uh, good asset, of course. But then we need also to have uh, research that is uh, completely independent, of course. Absolutely. And it's great to see that there are options to remain within academia after your PhD, but also to join industry. And in this process of doing a PhD, from your perspective, what important experiences or skills do these doctoral students take away from a PhD? Well, first of all, they should develop their skills within the research field they are. And they should really become, you know, really focused on that and becoming the experts we need. But uh, from the doctoral education, we focus also on research methods, paper writing, research presentations and communication. Ethics is very important for us project management, teaching, cooperation, and networking, and also fundraising to some extent and career development. Yeah, there's a whole host of skills and something we've covered on the, in the podcast thus far is just how many different tasks a PhD student is expected to engage yeah. in here at uh, the university. Another feature I think of uh, current PhD students is that they are generally from a, a millennial generation and uh, are very motivated to address some of these societal challenges we're facing, um, whether it's the impacts of coronavirus, climate change, or, or misinformation in the media. I'm wondering if you foresee any changes uh, to the university or PhD education in general moving forward to address some of these challenges. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a very good question. And I always feel that we need to uh, improve and up our game. It's very important. Uh, I think the world is in a critical place right now. And I'm very pleased that um, to belong to a university that so clearly puts sustainability on, on the map and is working in that direction. For instance, with this Agenda 2030 Research School. And these directions are also clearly influencing all the faculties. So they are, you know, getting more and more towards that direction, really. So, so it's a very positive development, uh, as I see it. But we need to improve our doctoral education. And um, the things we are discussing right now in, in my faculty on the doctoral education is um, the PhD student interactions. Uh, that we need to do something so they get more influences from each other, from research groups abroad and so forth. 
so that they start to question their own research more actively and learn from others and also uh, help in uh, distributing what they learned and how they work as well. So the whole community is improved. We're looking at career development right now, research ethics. We need to improve those as well or continue to work with those. And we need to facilitate and uh, make it easier with administrative tasks. And as I said initially, the goal is to develop the best doctoral education so we get the experts and leaders that are well-educated and trained to work objectively, honestly, and ethically according to the scientific method to solve the global challenges that we are facing right now. Thanks, Martin. And it's great to hear how the PhD program is really preparing these PhD students, like you said, to become excellent researchers. But is there anything that students themselves or how has the program itself learned from students too? Most of our PhD students are young and very receptive and they bring so many new ideas to, to Lund and Lund University. And we're learning from each other all the time. For me, it's so important, you know, this global interaction. And there are some forces acting against that, of course. But, you know, we cannot solve global problems if we don't collaborate globally. That means that we need to have this interaction with PhD students coming to us and those who are born here, you know, everyone should, you know, work together and learn from each other. Because if everyone looks at a problem from the same set of cultural values, you're only, it's a very limited view. And if we open it up from other values and, uh, you know, there's a great likelihood we can solve these problems. And it also creates a greater acceptance for bringing the solutions all over the world. I think that resonates with us here at the podcast and uh, really speaks to how important PhD education is at universities to bring people together, uh, to form those rich collaborations and partnerships between PhD students and faculty and industry to really solve our sustainability challenges. So Martin, thanks so much for joining us on today's podcast. We are soon ending this episode, but before we sign off, we wanted to provide you with some specific suggestions and tips about undertaking a PhD. Now, no doubt there are many opinions, but we thought it would be great to ask Stephen a few questions as he's recently finishing his own PhD and ask him for some tips about his own journey at Lund University. So Stephen, what would you say would be potentially the most important tip in undertaking a PhD? Yeah, thanks, Catherine, for the question. You know, I have to say that doing a PhD has not been an easy journey, no doubt. Uh, it's been a very humbling experience. Um, and so what I've had to learn is to really just not take myself too seriously. And I, and I think that's important for all of us. You know, when I think about doing a PhD, I'm reminded of uh, what's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. And it's, a, it's an interesting notion, a, a cognitive bias in which people overestimate the knowledge that they have about a topic. And then the more you learn about that topic, the less you feel like you know. And I guess the whole point of doing a PhD is by the end, hopefully you feel like you are an expert again. Um, and, and I guess that's the journey that we're all on here. Um, but uh, certainly a humbling journey nonetheless. Absolutely, Stephen. And actually that 
is um, raises another important question that I maybe wanted to ask you is that they always say like follow what's happening in your field as this way to say that you can always know everything about your field. And it maybe connects a bit to your question previously saying that, you know, you will always continue learning. So yeah, what do you say to people that tell you, yeah, really follow what's happening in your field? Exactly. And maybe you've gotten that advice already in, in your PhD journey. I know that I received that early on in my PhD. And early on, you know, I, I tried to follow what was happening in my field. I had a Google Scholar uh, alert every day getting the latest and greatest in sharing economy research. Um, but quite quickly, the stack of articles that I was uh, hoping to read became too big on my desk. It was overwhelming. It was uh, not something that I, I knew that I could actually tackle. Um, so I took the philosophy instead that I wanted to only read and, and, and learn what was necessary at that time. So based on whatever task I was taking. Um, and that made the task of staying up to date on my field a lot more manageable. Right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And actually, Stephen, you used two important words, overwhelming and management. And I think these are also key, key themes that often come up when, a, when somebody's undertaking their PhD. So how do you manage to not remain overwhelmed? <laughs> I think that we're all struggling on that front. I mean, I think that as we talked about PhD students in particular, they're wearing a lot of hats. I think it's important to distinguish the activities that are important and those that are urgent. And this has been something that I've tried to do in my own uh, PhD studies. Another thing that I think is important is to find that time for deep work. Um, uh, you know, no doubt there's always demand for our time and attention, whether it's through email or other notifications. And for me, I just found it important to turn off all notifications and set dedicated time for deep work. And with that, I've been able to accomplish so much in my PhD. And I think that uh, really ridding our, ourselves of distraction is important here. That's really great advice. I think that's also something I should maybe integrate more, you know, dedicating specific time for deep thinking. So, so thank you for that. But maybe let's switch gears here to, in addition, you know, to advancing professionally in your academic career, how do we maintain emotional well-being or a healthy lifestyle through a PhD? Yeah, I mean, just speaking from my own experience, uh, it, it certainly has been a challenge. And so I've had to try a lot of different strategies. And now on this side of my PhD, soon defending, uh, you know, I, I know what works well for me, and, and maybe this would be insightful for others. But I think routine has been a really important aspect. So setting a routine and whatever works for you, for me, I like to get up early and start my day with, um, with a workout, maybe some yoga, uh, a good breakfast, read my book, go for a walk. And then, uh, and then start work. And that's really helped just kind of clear the head and, and prepare for the day. Yeah. So Stephen, these are great, great tips and insights. And, and we hope we've gotten you excited to consider undertaking a PhD generally, but more specifically to join our Brady Bunch-like family at the IIIEE. Indeed, we're a group of international aspiring scholars integrating our work across various disciplines and sharing without a doubt a life-changing experience. However, most importantly, we are conducting cutting-edge research to advance sustainable solutions. If you would also like to conduct research on advancing sustainable solutions, remember to keep an eye out for the Agenda 2030 research funding at Lund University. There will be approximately 20 PhD students in postdoctoral positions opening this autumn. And if you want to learn more about today's podcast episode and receive extra materials about the topic, make sure you are subscribed to our newsletter. You can sign up on our website at www.iiee.lu.sc podcast.
Once again, we want to thank our guests for joining us on today's episode of the podcast, Martin Tuner, Emma Johnson, and Lucy Enokson. Also, a special thanks to our production assistant, Franz Liebertson. And of course, thank you, as always, for joining us on another episode of Advancing Sustainable Solutions. We have a new episode coming up in April. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Take care.